Chapter Twenty Two of Asia: The Return of She. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. Asia: The Return of She, by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter Twenty Two. THE LOOSING OF THE POWERS When I came to myself again, it was daylight. I saw the calm, gentle face of Oros bending over me as he poured some strong fluid down my throat that seemed to shoot through all my body and melt a curtain in my mind. I saw also that beside him stood Asia. "'Speak, man, speak!' she said in a terrible voice. "'What hast chanced here? "'Thou livest, then where is my lord? "'Where hast thou hid my lord? "'Tell me or die.' "'It was the vision that I saw "'when my senses left me in the snow of the avalanche, "'fulfilled to the last detail. "'Atini has taken him,' I answered. Atini has taken him, and thou art left alive. Do not be wroth with me, I answered. It is no fault of mine. Little wonder we were deceived after thou hadst said that thou mightest summon us ere dawn. Then, as briefly as I could, I told the story. She listened, went to where our murdered guards lay with unstained spears, and looked at them. "'Well for these that they are dead!' she exclaimed. "'Now, Holly, thou seest what is the fruit of mercy. "'The men whose lives I gave, my lord, have failed him at his need.' "'Then she passed forward to the spot where Leo was captured. "'Here lay a broken sword, Leo's, that had been the Cowan Rassens, and two dead men.' Both of these were clothed in some tight-fitting black garments, having their heads and faces whitened with chalk, and upon their vests a rude imitation of a human skeleton, also daubed in chalk. "'A trick fit to frighten fools with,' she said contemptuously. "'But, oh, that Atene should have dared to play the part of Asia, that she should have dared!' and she clenched her little hand. See, surprised and overwhelmed, yet he fought well. Say, was he hurt, Holly? It comes upon me. No, tell me that I see amiss. Not much, I think, I answered doubtfully. A little blood was running from his mouth. No more. Look, there go the stains of it upon that rock. For every drop I'll take a hundred lives. By myself I swear it, Asia muttered with a groan. Then she cried in a ringing voice, Back and to horse, for I have deeds to do this day. Nay, bide thou here, Holly. We go a shorter path while the army skirts the gorge. Oros, give him food and drink, and bathe that hurt upon his head. It is but a bruise, for his hood and hair are thick. So while Oros rubbed some stinging lotion on my scalp, 
I ate and drank as best I could, till my brain ceased to swim, for the blow, though heavy, had not fractured the bone. When I was ready they brought the horses to us, and mounting them slowly we scrambled up the steep bed of the watercourse. See, Asia said, pointing to tracks and hoof-prints on the plain at its head, there was a chariot awaiting him, and harnessed to it were four swift horses. Atini's scheme was clever and well laid, and I, grown over-sure and careless, slept through it all. On this plain the army of the tribes that had broken camp before the dawn was already gathering fast. Indeed, the cavalry, if I may call them so, were assembled there to the number of about five thousand men, each of whom had a led horse. Asia summoned the chiefs and captains and addressed them. "'Servants of Hez,' she said, "'the stranger lord, my betrothed and guest, has been tricked by a false priest, and, falling into a cunning snare, captured as a hostage. It is necessary that I follow him fast, before harm comes to him. We move down to attack the army of the Carnia beyond the river. When its passage is forced, I pass on with the horsemen, for I must sleep in the city of Kaloon to-night. What sayest thou, Oros, that a second and greater army defends its walls? Man, I know it, and if there is need, that army I will destroy. Nay, stare not at me, already they are as dead. Horsemen, you accompany me. Captains of the tribes, you follow, and woe be to that man who hangs back in the hour of battle, for death and eternal shame shall be his portion, but wealth and honour to those who bear them bravely. Yes, I tell you, theirs shall be the fair land of Kaloon. You have your orders for the passing of yonder river. I, with the horsemen, take the central ford. Let the wings advance. The chiefs answered with a cheer, for they were fierce men whose ancestors had loved war for generations. Moreover, mad as seemed the enterprise, they trusted in their oracle, the Hesea, and, like all hill peoples, were easily fired by the promise of rich plunder. An hour's steady march down the slopes brought the army to the edge of the marshlands. These, as it chanced, proved no obstacle to our progress, for in that season of great drought they were quite dry, and for the same reason the shrunken river was not so impassable a defence as I feared that it would be. Still, because of its rocky bottom and steep opposing banks, it looked formidable enough, while on the crests of those banks, in squadrons and companies of horse and foot, were gathered the regiments of Atini. While the wings of footmen deployed to right and left, the cavalry halted in the marshes, and let their horses fill themselves with the long grass, now a little browned by frost, that grew on this boggy soil, and afterwards drink some water. All this time Aisha stood silent, for she also had dismounted, that the mare she rode and her two led horses might graze with the others. Indeed she spoke but once, saying, 
Thou thinkest this adventure mad, my holly? Say, art afraid? Not with thee for captain, I answered. Still, that second army shall melt before me like mist before the gale, she replied in a low and thrilling voice. Holly, I tell thee thou shalt see things such as no man upon the earth has ever seen. Remember my words when I loose the powers, and thou followest the rent veil of Asia through the smitten squadrons of Kaloon. Only what if Atini should dare to murder him? Oh, if she should dare! Be comforted, I replied, wondering what she might mean by this loosing of the powers. I think that she loves him too well. I bless thee for the words, Holly, yet I know he will refuse her, and then her hate for me and her jealous rage may overcome her love for him. Should this be so, what will avail my vengeance? Eat and drink again, Holly, nay, I touch no food until I sit in the palace of Kaloon, and look well to girth and bridle, for thou ridest far and on a wild errand. Mount thee on Leo's horse, which is swift and sure. If it dies, the guards will bring the others. I obeyed her as best I could, and once more bathed my head in a pool, and with the help of Oros tied a rag soaked in the liniment on the bruise, after which I felt sound enough. Indeed, the mad excitement of those minutes of waiting, and some foreshadowing of the terrible wonders that were about to befall, made me forget my hurts. Now Aisha was standing staring upwards, so that although I could not see her veiled face, I guessed that her eyes must be fixed on the sky above the mountain top. I was certain also that she was concentrating her fearful will upon an unknown object, for her whole frame quivered like a reed shaken in the wind. It was a very strange morning, cold and clear, yet curiously still, and with a heaviness in the air such as precedes a great fall of snow, although for much snow the season was yet too early. Once or twice, too, in that utter calm, I thought that I felt everything shudder, not the ordinary trembling of earthquake, however, for the shuddering seemed to be of the atmosphere quite as much as of the land. It was as though all nature around us were a living creature which is very much afraid. Following Asia's earnest gaze, I perceived that thick, smoky clouds were gathering one by one in the clear sky above the peak, and that they were edged, each of them, with a fiery rim. Watching these fantastic and ominous clouds, I ventured to say to her that it looked as though the weather would change, not a very original remark, but one which the circumstances suggested. Ay, she answered, ere night the weather will be wilder even than my heart. No longer shall they cry for water in Kaloon. Mount, Holly, mount. The advance begins. And unaided she sprang to the saddle of the mare that Oros brought her. Then, in the midst of the five thousand horsemen, we moved down upon the ford. 
As we reached its brink, I noted that the two divisions of tribesmen were already entering the stream half a mile to the right and left of us. Of what befell them I can tell nothing from observation, although I learned later that they forced it after great slaughter on both sides. In front of us was gathered the main body of the Khania's army, massed by regiments upon the further bank, while hundreds of picked men stood up to their middles in the water, waiting to spear or hamstring our horses as we advanced. Now, uttering their wild whistling cry, our leading companies dashed into the river, leaving us upon the bank, and soon were engaged hotly with the footmen in midstream. While this fray went on, Oros came to Asia, told her a spy had reported that Leo, bound in a two-wheeled carriage, and accompanied by Atini, Simbri, and a guard, had passed through the enemy's camp at night, galloping furiously towards Caloon. "'Spare thy words, I know it,' she answered, and he fell back behind her. Our squadrons gained the bank, having destroyed most of the men in the water, but as they set foot upon it, the enemy charged them and drove them back with loss. Thrice they returned to the attack, and thrice were repulsed in this fashion. At length Asia grew impatient. "'They need a leader, and I will give them one,' she said. "'Come with me, my holly.' And, followed by the main body of the horsemen, she rode a little way into the river, and there waited until the shattered troops had fallen back upon us. Oros whispered to me, "'It is madness. The Hesea will be slain.' "'Thinkest thou so?' I answered. "'More like that we shall be slain,' a saying at which he smiled a little more than usual, and shrugged his shoulders, since, for all his soft ways, Oros was a brave man. Also, I believe that he spoke to try me, knowing that his mistress would take no harm. Asia held up her hand, in which there was no weapon, and waved it forwards. A great cheer answered that signal to advance, and in the midst of it this frail white-robed woman spoke to her horse so that it plunged deep into the water. Two minutes later, and spears and arrows were flying about us so thickly that they seemed to darken the sky. I saw men and horses fall to right and left, but nothing touched me or the white robes that floated a yard or two ahead. Five minutes, and we were gaining the further bank, and there the worst fight began. It was fierce indeed, yet never an inch did the white robes give back, and where they went men would follow them or fall. We were up the bank, and the enemy was packed about us, but through them we passed slowly, like a boat through an adverse sea that buffets but cannot stay it. Yes, further and further, till at last the lines ahead grew thin as the living wedge of horsemen forced its path between them, grew thin, broke, and vanished. We had passed through the heart of the host, and leaving the tribesmen who followed to deal with its flying fragments, rode on half a mile or so and mustered. Many were dead, 
and more were hurt, but the command was issued that all sore-wounded men should fall out and give their horses to replace those that had been killed. This was done, and presently we moved on, three thousand of us now, not more, heading for Kaloon. The trot grew to a canter and the canter to a gallop, as we rushed forward across that endless plain, till at midday, or a little after, for this route was far shorter than that taken by Leo and myself in our devious flight from Rassen and his death-hounds, we dimly saw the city of Kaloon set upon its hill. Now a halt was ordered, for here was a reservoir in which was still some water whereof the horses drank, while the men ate of the food they carried with them, dried meat and barley meal. Here, too, more spies met us, who said that the great army of Atini was posted guarding the city bridges, and that to attack it with our little force would mean destruction. But Asia took no heed of their words. Indeed, she scarcely seemed to hear them. Only she ordered that all wearied horses should be abandoned, and fresh ones mounted. Forward again, for hour after hour, in perfect silence, save for the thunder of our horses' hoofs. No word spoke Asia, nor did her wild escort speak. Only from time to time they looked over their shoulders, and pointed with their red spears at the red sky behind. I looked also, nor shall I forget its aspect. The dreadful fire-edged clouds had grown and gathered, so that beneath their shadows the plain lay almost black. They marched above us like an army in the heavens, while from time to time vaporous points shot forward, thin like swords or massed like charging horse. Under them a vast stillness reigned. It was as though the earth lay dead beneath their pall. Kaloon, lit in a lurid light, grew nearer. The pickets of the foe flew homeward before us, shaking their javelins, and their mocking laughter reached us in hollow echoes. Now we saw the vast array, posted rank on rank, with silken banners drooping in that stirless air, flanked and screened by glittering regiments of horse. An embassy approached us, and at the signal of Asia's uplifted arm we halted. It was headed by a lord of the court whose face I knew. He pulled rein and spoke boldly. Listen, Hez, to the words of Atini. Ere now the stranger lord, thy darling, is prisoner in her palace. Advance, and we destroy thee and thy little band. But if by any miracle thou shouldst conquer— then he dies. Get thee gone to thy mountain fastness, and the Carnia gives thee peace, and thy people their lives. What answer to the words of the Carnia? Asia whispered to Oros, who called aloud, There is no answer. Go, if ye love life, for death draws near to you. So they went fast as their swift steeds would carry them, but for a little while Asia still sat lost in thought. Presently she turned, 
and through her thin veil I saw that her face was white and terrible, and that the eyes in it glowed like those of a lioness at night. She said to me, hissing the words between her clenched teeth, "'Holly, prepare thyself to look into the mouth of hell. I desired to spare them if I could, I swear it, but my heart bids me be bold to put off human pity and use all my secret might if I would see Leo living. Holly, I tell thee, they are about to murder him.' Then she cried aloud, "'Fear nothing, captains, ye are but few, yet with you goes the strength of ten thousand thousand.' Now follow the Hesea, and whate'er ye meet, be not dismayed. Repeat it to the soldiers, that, fearing nothing, they follow the Hesea through yonder host, and across the bridge, and into the city of Caloon. So the chiefs rode hither and thither, crying out her words, and the savage tribesmen answered, I, we who followed through the water, will follow across the plain. Onward, Hez, for darkness swallows us. Now some orders were given, and the companies fell into a formation that resembled a great wedge, Asia herself being its very point and apex. For though Oros and I rode on either side of her, spur as we would, our horses' heads never passed her saddle-bow. In front of that dark mass she shone a single spot of white, one snowy feather on a black torrent's breast. A screaming bugle-note, and, like giant arms from the shelter of some groves of poplar-trees, curved horns of cavalry shot out to surround us, while the broad bosom of the opposing army, shimmering with spears, rolled forward as a wave rolls crowned with sunlit foam, and behind it, line upon line, uncountable, lay a surging sea of men. Our end was near. We were lost, or so it seemed. Asia tore off her veil and held it on high, flowing from her like a pennon, and lo, upon her brow blazed that wide and mystic diadem of light which once only I had seen before. Denser and denser grew the rushing clouds above, brighter and brighter gleamed the unearthly star of light beneath. Louder and louder beat the sound of the falling hoofs of ten thousand horses. From the mountain peak behind us went up sudden sheets of flame. It spouted fire as a whale spouts foam. The scene was dreadful. In front, the towers of Caloon lurid in a monstrous sunset. Above, a gloom as of an eclipse. Around the darkling sunburnt plain, on it Atene's advancing army and our rushing wedge of horsemen destined, it would appear, to inevitable doom. Asia let fall her rein. She tossed her arms, waving the torn white veil, as though it were a signal cast to heaven. Instantly, from the churning jaws of the unholy night above, belched a blaze of answering flame, 
that also wavered like a rent and shaken veil in the grasp of a black hand of cloud. Then did Asia roll the thunder of her might upon the children of Kaloon. Then she called, and the terror came, such as men had never seen, and perchance never more will see. Awful bursts of wind tore past us, lifting the very stones and soil before them, and with the wind went hail and level hissing rain, made visible by the arrows of perpetual lightnings that leapt downwards from the sky and upwards from the earth. It was as she had warned me. It was as though hell had broken loose upon the world, yet through that hell we rushed on unharmed. For always these furies passed before us. No arrow flew, no javelin was stained. The jagged hail was a herald of our coming. The levens that smote and stabbed were our sword and spear, while ever the hurricane roared and screamed with a million separate voices which blended to one yell of sound hideous and indescribable. As for the hosts about us, they melted and were gone. Now the darkness was dense, like to that of thickest night, yet in the fierce flares of the lightnings I saw them run this way and that, and amidst the volleying elemental voices I heard their shouts of horror and of agony. I saw horses and riders roll confused upon the ground. Like storm-drifted leaves I saw their footmen piled in high and whirling heaps, while the brands of heaven struck and struck them till they sank together and grew still. I saw the groves of trees bend, shrivel up, and vanish. I saw the high walls of Kaloon blown in and flee away, while the houses within the walls took fire to go out beneath the torrents of the driving rain and again take fire. I saw blackness sweep over us with great wings, and when I looked, lo, those wide wings were flame, floods of pulsing flame that flew upon the tormented air. Blackness, utter blackness, turmoil, doom, dismay. Beneath me the labouring horse, at my side the steady crest of light which sat on Asia's brow, and through the tumult a clear exultant voice that sang, I promised thee wild weather. Now, Holly, dost thou believe that I can loose the prisoned powers of the world? Lo, all was past and gone, and above us shone the quiet evening sky, and before us lay the empty bridge, and beyond it the flaming city of Kaloon. But the armies of Atene, where were they? Go, ask of those great cairns that hide their bones. Go, ask it of her widowed land. Yet of our wild company of horsemen not one was lost. After us they galloped, trembling, white-lipped, like men who face to face had fought and conquered death, but triumphant, ah, triumphant! On the high head of the bridge Asia wheeled her horse, 
and so for one proud moment stood to welcome them. At the sight of her glorious star-crowned countenance, which now her tribes beheld for the first time and the last, there went up such a shout as men have seldom heard. The goddess! That shout thundered. Worship the goddess! Then she turned her horse's head again, and they followed on through the long straight street of the burning city up to the palace on its crest. As the sun set, we sped beneath its gateway. Silence in the courtyard, silence everywhere, save for the distant roar of fire and the scared howlings of the death-hounds in their kennel. Aisha sprang from her horse, and waving back all save Oros and myself, swept through the open doors into the halls beyond. They were empty, every one. All were fled or dead. Yet she never paused or doubted, but so swiftly that we scarce could follow her, flitted up the wide stone stair that led to the topmost tower. Up, still up, until we reached the chamber where had dwelt Simri the shaman, that same chamber whence he was wont to watch his stars, in which Atene had threatened us with death. Its door was shut and barred. Still at Aisha's coming, yes, before the mere breath of her presence, the iron bolts snapped like twigs, the locks flew back, and inward burst that massive portal. Now we were within the lamp-lit chamber, and this is what we saw. Seated in a chair, pale-faced, bound, yet proud and defiant-looking, was Leo. Over him a dagger in his withered hand, yes, about to strike in the very act, stood the old shaman, and on the floor hard by, gazing upward with wide-set eyes, dead and still majestic in her death, lay a teeny Carnia of Caloon. Aisha waved her arm, and the knife fell from Simbri's hand, clattering on the marble, while in an instant he who had held it was smitten to stillness and became like a man turned to stone. She stooped, lifted the dagger, and with a swift stroke severed Leo's bonds, then, as though overcome at last, sank onto a bench in silence. Leo rose, looking about him bewildered, and said in the strained voice of one who is weak with much suffering, But just in time, Aisha, another second and that murderous dog, and he pointed to the shaman, well, it was in time. But how went the battle, and how camest thou here through that awful hurricane? And, oh, Horace, thank heaven they did not kill you after all. The battle went ill for some, Aisha answered, and I came not through the hurricane, but on its wings. Tell me now what has befallen thee since we parted. Trapped, overpowered, bound, brought here, told that I must write to thee and stop thy advance or die, refused, of course, and then, and he glanced at the dead body on the floor. And then, repeated Asia, 
then that fearful tempest which seemed to drive me mad oh if thou couldst have heard the wind howling round these battlements tearing off their stones as though they were dry leaves if thou hadst seen the lightnings falling thick and fast as rain they were my messengers i sent them to save thee said ayesha simply leo stared at her making no comment but after a pause as though he were thinking the matter over he went on Atene said as much, but I did not believe her. I thought the end of the world had come, that was all. Well, she returned just now more mad even than I was, and told me that her people were destroyed and that she could not fight against the strength of hell, but that she could send me thither, and took a knife to kill me. I said, kill on for I knew that wherever I went thou wouldst follow, and I was sick with the loss of blood from some hurt I had in that struggle, and weary of it all. So I shut my eyes waiting for the stroke, but instead I felt her lips pressed upon my forehead and heard her say, Nay, I will not do it. Fare thee well, fulfil thou thine own destiny as I fulfil mine. For this cast the dice have fallen against me. Elsewhere it may be otherwise. I go to load them if I may. I opened my eyes and looked. There Atene stood, a glass in her hand. See, it lies beside her. Defeated, yet I win, she cried. For I do but pass before thee to prepare the path that thou shalt tread, and to make ready thy place in the underworld. Till we meet again, I pledge thee, for I am destroyed. Asia's horsemen are in my streets, and, clothed in lightnings at their head, rides Asia's avenging self. So she drank and fell dead, but now. Look, her breast still quivers. Afterwards that old man would have murdered me, for, being roped, I could not resist him, but the door burst in, and thou camest. Spare him, he is of her blood, and he loved her. Then Leo sank back into the chair where we had discovered him bound, and seemed to fall into a kind of torpor, for of a sudden he grew to look like an old man. Thou art sick, said Asia anxiously. Oros, thy medicine, the draught I bade thee bring, be swift, I say. The priest bowed, and from some pocket in his ample robe produced a phial which he opened and gave to Leo, saying, Drink, my lord, this stuff will give thee back thy health, for it is strong. The stronger the better, answered Leo, rousing himself, and with something like his old cheerful laugh. I am thirsty, who have touched nothing since last night, and have fought hard and been carried far, yes, and lived through that hellish storm. Then he took the draught and emptied it. There must have been virtue in that potion, at least the change which it produced in him was wonderful. Within a minute his eyes grew bright again, and the colour returned into his cheeks. "'Thy medicines are very good, 
as I have learned of old, he said to Asia, but the best of all of them is to see thee safe and victorious before me, and to know that I, who looked for death, yet live to greet thee, my beloved. There is food, and he pointed to a board upon which were meats. Say, may I eat of them, for I starve. Aye, she answered softly, eat, and my holly eat thou also. So we fell too, yes, we fell too and ate, even in the presence of that dead woman who looked so royal in her death, of the old magician who stood there powerless like a man petrified, and of Asia, the wondrous being that could destroy an army with the fearful weapons which were servant to her will. Only Oros said nothing, but remained where he was, smiling at us benignantly, nor did Asia touch any food. End of chapter 22 Recording by Graham Redmond